0: Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Coding with Christine Hall. Today, I have the amazing Victoria Mall on the show. I'm so excited! Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here, Victoria, and, and thanks for coming on uh, National S'mores Day. How awesome! Are you a s'mores fan? Don't
1: say that because s'mores are my daughter's favorites, and I will have to go home and make the variety of s'mores. Like, start the fire pit. Put put in the Reese's peanut butter cup thins. Apparently, are a thing now to put in s'mores. I, I little Ghirardelli caramel square. Everything oh is s'mores God. now.
0: Okay, so I, I I wasn't a s'mores fan, but the more that you're giving the options of like outside of traditional mm-hmm. s'mores, I'm thinking I could revisit this easily. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: um Today also happens to be National Dum Spoil Your Dog Day. Say hey, Toby Hall he's so unimpressed with us isn't that I always feel like he's judging me a little bit
1: <laughs> and
0: it is national vlogging day we we vlog don't we aren't we vloggers yeah i yeah. do i love that so today we're going to have a little chat about the chapter 18 of the icd10 <laughs> guidelines uh, during this season of the show we've been talking a little bit about each chapter of the guidelines, each section and subsection and kind of using real terms, talking in real language. What does this mean? So I'm so excited that you agreed to join me on this journey of signs and symptoms.
1: Yeah, signs and symptoms. I'm glad at least I didn't get chapter 19, the injury, injury poisoning and other consequences, because that is If I'd have come in like one week after, I'd have been stuck with that one. And that is like the fattest chapter we have. And I I know.
0: I know. Um, And that chapter just blows everybody's bubble. Like, wait a minute. You mean initial doesn't mean one and subsequent doesn't mean two? Wait a minute. It takes me back to uh, excludes one and excludes two. They don't mean like, anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like excludes one and excludes two is like one is maybe sometimes and the other is sometimes maybe. (laughs) That's a great way to look at that. (laughs) That is a great way to look at it. But yeah, I uh, it's funny when you when you asked me to come on, I actually brought uh, I got out my paper book and I wrote a couple of notes on it. I have to ask you something, Christine, because this yeah. came up recently with some of my viewers. They keep asking me, Victoria, can you show me all of the notes that you have in your books? And I'm like, sure, I can. That's it. That's all of them. You just saw them like I don't have any. I don't. I have. And even when I took my CPC exam, I had a small amount of notes. And nothing against the people who are like, I got to underline and highlight and draw diagrams and bubble. Like, cool. If that's what you need for the exam, like awesome. But me right. in my day coding, I don't need it. And someone said the funniest thing on my channel comments. I wrote it down on a sticky note because I have to share this with you. Yeah. <laughs> they said that they were told by their compliance officer at your job, at their job. If you learn to use your code books like an adult, you won't need to turn them into coloring books.
0: Oh! oh, no way. Well, my CPT book has a lot of notes in it, but I'll tell you that the notes are are a, a compilation, co- compilation of um, audit projects, I guess you would say. Hmm. So every time that I'm auditing another... Area, I will go into the CPT book and make my little notes like this doesn't get a modifier, or this does, or don't forget plurality here, like so that I can keep everything. And then I've just kind of copied those notes year after year. But now that you mention it at this stage in the game, I don't really use those notes anymore because they're kind of stuck. And the other thing is that things change so much where Mm. we used to be able to do it this way. The guidance, either from the payer policy or you know wherever it came from, has now told us we need to do it a a different way. I kind of got into a pickle with facet joint injections between 2019 and 2021 when there were all those changes to facet and joint injections, and those Mm -hmm. notes didn't help me at that time. (laughs) Yep. Now I do have notes that I that I talk to people about. Um, in ICD-10, I do think that sometimes it's helpful in a timed test if you already paraphrased the paragraphs, but I think that might be the last time that we actually look at that is. So for example, like if some of the codes that we have, it'll tell us, you know, use this code first, followed by a code for the manifestation. So I'll do like number one equals T84, number two equals infection or something like that.
1: I think when I took my CRC exam, since it was so focused on ICD-10-CM guidelines, I did go through my guidelines and like just highlight the important stuff where I'm like, out of this paragraph, what are the five words I actually need to read out of it to remember?
0: Exactly. And, And that should be the case. It should be just those highlighted words because you're never going to have time to read and try to comprehend during the test
1: yeah
0: i always tell my students read the guidelines three times read them on a friday night with a big glass of wine read them on a saturday with a big cup of coffee because you're going to need it from the night before and then read it on sunday when you've made right with whatever deity brings joy to your world because you're going to need that favor, <laughs> you know, but it leaves breadcrumbs in our mind of, yeah, I think there's a guideline about signs and symptoms. I don't know what it is, but I think I know I that there is all the
1: time one. off the top of my head, I do not know the sepsis guidelines. If I see something that has sepsis, I just go right to the sepsis guideline and remember where the heck of that is and refresh my memory because at the top of them, I do not, I don't remember them. Don't. <laughs>
0: None of us do. I think that it's a very few, few people that have taken the time to memorize them, but they're mm-hmm. those weird people that they read something and then they never forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of them, but I've never quite been that person.
1: Um, here and there, the important ones that you use, right. a lot, but not not everything. yeah.
0: No, I know there's one for sepsis. I know there's one for hypertension. I know there's one for um, the seventh character, um, but off the top of my head, no. And that's think
1: that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at the ones about, you know, the signs and symptoms and how mm-hmm. in lieu of having that definitive diagnosis, we're supposed to use our signs and symptoms. It's it's okay. People get worried about that. It's like, no, if if we don't know what you what the final diagnosis is yet, walking when that patient walks out the door and we're filing that claim, we can go ahead and use the signs and symptoms that they have a runny nose and a cough and a fever. That's that's fine right um, they've sent
0: off a, a sputum culture to see what's the organism so they know what antibiotics or if they need an antibiotic and that that happens it takes 72 hours to grow that culture
1: right and i think i think you know it would be unadvisable to hold a claim for a week until we get the results right, right. but it also kind of got me thinking um I've had some people really confused lately because, you know, when we think about things like signs and symptoms, it, it it makes me think too about those probable, suspected, maybe rule out. Yeah. And we're still so confused, it seems like, between our outpatient guidelines and our inpatient guidelines that I've had people that I thought I explained this to and they come back at me and they go, oh, no, Victoria, I, I was in trouble because I was coding for hospitalists. And I figured since they were inpatient, I should use the inpatient guidelines. And I'm like, well, no, inpatient guidelines are when we're billing for facility, we're billing on the UBO four. the outpatient guidelines are for the provider services that we're billing on our 1500 form.
0: But that's an easy mistake to make because you're thinking of where the person is and not who the guidelines are designated for institutional claims versus professional claims. And that can really be a challenge for people for sure. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. The one time that I, I like to see, and this is where I was just, um, I was talking with a few other people recently and, and the medical record, I think we need to remember that, it's okay to add things to the medical record. Like I know that one of the E&M guidelines um, tell us about the undiagnosed new problem with uncertain prognosis. And so Mm -hmm. that requires the could be this or could be this. We're not coding that, right? The code would be the sign or symptom or maybe the unspecified, but to to understand the quality of that problem, you still need to see the two, just we should know that one set of guidelines needs to also respect the other set of guidelines. So while e requires us to see that, ICD-10 tells us we only code what is certain or definitive. Otherwise, we use the signs and symptoms to describe.
1: Right, right. You know, but the provider has clarified as the best diagnosis of what we have. Correct, correct.
0: Yeah, but it's so interesting, because we we always have to remember that we're we're working off of multiple different guidelines when it comes to um, selecting those specific codes so interesting. yeah,
1: and it it I think it can make providers head spins because I remember I used to do a lot of new provider education. And I would come in as the professional fee coder and mm-hmm. give them education. And they'd, they'd be like, well, we just met with CDI. And they told us the exact <laughs> opposite of what you said.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, we're coming in from the perspective of payment. And, and trying to remember that the medical record has multiple purposes. That continuity of care, that that legal document right and and that's where cdi really comes in and it complements those two areas but then from a coders perspective or the biller coder i'm seeing a lot of biller coders now um, that they're looking at it from that financial perspective what documentation supports that so it, i always have to remind providers that the medical record is is a threefold document it's it we can't look at it in just one perspective because it holds multiple uses to it right. So,
1: yeah, and um, I've heard a lot of frustration, too, about some other prominent uh, physician educators on various social media platforms about, you know, Epic and how they really feel that Epic was sort of built primarily as a billing system that happens to be an EMR and their voice, their frustrations with that. mm -hmm. So, yeah.
0: Well, I have a frustration with EMRs in general, not not any one specifically, um because i as you know as an auditor or as an independent consultant we we go in and we'll use whatever you've got but i think that sometimes docs think or maybe they're under the impression that the emr is is all knowing all showing and they lose the 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 idea that it's just a tool and it's only going to be as good as how it was built or how we're using that tool and not that, well, the EMR said this is a 99215. Right. Right. And, and I think they misunderstand that, that it is. And I'm noticing that a lot of new organizations haven't updated those templates or even old organizations that have been using the yeah. old template and they're using that now and we have new guidance and it, it's just become a big um
1: yeah, and I've definitely seen that in the past with providers as well, especially when they're using kind of calculator type tools with E&M, where they are just going, okay, yeah, I did this and this and this. And I'm looking at the documentation and going, well, I'm not seeing it there. <laughs> so while you think you did a 99214, and you may have very well done a 99214, it needs to be here in the documentation. <laughs> right.
0: And it's a, I see sometimes an overutilization of macros too, where they're just going in and click, 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 click. And it gives you the 214. And then you go back and you look at it and it's he, she had a normal prostate pap. You're like, Whoa, wait a minute. Uh, I know we're very progressive in life these days, but could you please explain to me, which one did you actually do? And for what reasons? Right? Right. So I kind of, look at it from that perspective as well, is we've got to make sure that our tools are not leading us down a, a dangerous path when it comes to documenting healthcare there. So. Yeah. But for the signs and symptom diagnosis codes, I think it's important to remember a couple of things also that I, they port over into EM so nicely. This category just really, I think, uh, is mentioned more in e than any other category because they mention what a problem is and problems include signs and symptoms as long as they're addressed. And right. we look at the acute illness with systemic symptoms mm-hmm. where it specifically says that general symptoms are not considered sus- systemic. Yeah. You know, yeah, so and if you've I, got I a
1: so. fever, cough, cold, runny nose, soreness, muscle aches, I, I wouldn't count that as a systemic issue.
0: <laughs> right. And I think a lot of those signs and symptoms we have to remember that if we treat the definitive diagnosis, all those other ones will will be treated secondarily to treating that primary diagnosis.
1: Right. So. And then also those aren't each several acute illnesses, it's all many factors of the same acute illness.
0: If you treat the bronchitis, you don't
1: have what that is yet. definitively, we know they're all especially if it's like something ears, nose, throat related, chances are good. That's all rolled up into some kind of itis that's going on over here.
0: (laughs) Right. They're just waiting to see which one it is. Right. But uh, once we figure that out, all of those individual signs and symptoms will be treated, right? And we wouldn't do something separate, like, I'm going to give Tylenol for the headache, but not for the fever. The Tylenol will treat both. So (laughs) lots of uniqueness there. Um, There's a lot of other R codes that we see with signs and symptoms. And, and that's one of the things I tell my students is if you have a choice in, in um, maybe if you're taking a test and you're looking at possible answers on that test and they mm. tell you that the patient has a diagnosis and then you see that there's all these R codes there, I think it's pretty safe to rule out that those R codes are not going to be part of your definitive diagnosis or that the possible answer that's there. Have you seen that?
1: Yeah. I have seen that, and I think that's one that is at a higher probability of appearing on the exam, because you see it tested in your exam questions, in your study guides, in your practice exams, so it kind of stands to reason that that's a concept that you will see again on the CPC exam. Yeah. If they have, they're going to probably give you, you know, one option will be the definitive diagnosis with all the signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. Another option will be just the signs and symptoms. So yeah, that's, that's one you can easily use like a process of elimination for.
0: And I've seen that outside of just uh, the CPC exam. I've seen it with some of the other credentialing organizations, the CCS exam, the, the National Health Association has their own exam as well. There's um, the AMBA has their exam. NamUs has their exam, lots of different examining organizations out there. And that is one of the questions that I think I have seen, regardless of who the examining body is, or what the test is. So even AAPC has got CPC, CPB, CPMA, CRC. I've seen that on I think every single exam, I've seen that scenario where they discuss signs and symptoms. And and I don't know about you, but I think because even in our general guidelines, there's discussion of how we report and when we report signs and symptoms, it's super important to really be able to acknowledge those signs and symptoms.
1: Yeah. And I think it is also a good way to kind of test your clinical knowledge as well, knowing what of the, the signs and symptoms are included in that definitive diagnosis and that you shouldn't be coding them separately.
0: Now, how did you learn signs and symptoms?
1: Like Like what's included in a, in a definitive like what's the sign and symptoms of like diabetes, Googling, repeated Googling. Like I just, when I see it, I'm like, oh, what is this? Is, is thirst a sign of diabetes? Oh, it is. Okay. Well now I'll remember that for next time. I did the same thing.
0: Yeah. I, I called it Dr. Google one time and then I had um, a couple of students come back and say, we couldn't find that app. And I was like, no, no, I'm sorry. It's not
1: Dr. I'm sorry. It's just Google. I just was, it <laughs> like was a Web bad MD joke Dr. on my part. Who?
0: Yeah, just Google.
1: Although that might be the next thing. Maybe they'll add a uh, an add-on to Google Bard and you'll just go in and that'll be Dr. Google. Just plug that well, don't in. Don't forget
0: about Victoria and I when you do that, right? We, we yeah. put it out here first. <laughs> you just got oh by the way I hate to get off topic but you just got another plaque from YouTube
1: oh no well this is the this is my yeah my silver play button yeah congratulations I'm excited um I actually by the time I don't know if it'll be I don't think it'll be out by the time this published but uh there's going to be something in a HEMA soon featuring me so keep an eye out to the Featured? journal of ahima
0: <laughs> i will absolutely you've just done amazing work victoria you are you are uh, all students go to victoria mall um and do we have her trailer lexi that we can put across the bottom i know we're not done yet but just remember <laughs> oh, that we well i i do when i'm looking at when a students ask me for resources you know i put my own podcast up there my own youtube channel but i always put yours up there as well because you know sometimes that, that it's 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 how we learn by hearing things and seeing things that really make us understand it because the reason we're here is these guidelines are so high level sometimes that leaves us with more questions than answers
1: yeah and it's it's tough because so many programs now are self study even the ones you get through like your local community college they just kind of plug and play you know, ed to go or something into their, into their program and you feel isolated. And uh, it's, it's sometimes just a little bit easier to hear it from someone else, either through auditory, either seeing them, you know, even little things that you wouldn't think about, you know, just how do I open up this book and, and start, like, what do I do? What are all these chapters? What, 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 what is this? Why are they different colors? Where do I start? And uh, it's just so great to be able to provide some of those those resources to everyone so that they feel like they're not completely out there on their own. Uh, and, and it's so easy to misinterpret things. I always say, you know, if everyone was able to pick up the exact same text and read it and interpret it the exact same way, we probably wouldn't have so many different types of churches. I
0: love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know I have a minor in religion. Yeah. <laughs> For that same reason like I don't I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great way to look at that. Um I do want to circle back a little bit to these these guidelines here that, and the signs and symptoms there and specifically on some of those signs and symptoms like the coma scale that Mm -hmm. we're allowed as coders, we've been given that in the general guidelines to look within the medical record to see if someone else has documented that some other clinical person has documented that coma scale when it's relevant, when it's something that means something to us. Like, you know, right now I wouldn't look at a normal healthy person and code them with coma (laughs) scale of, you know, not applicable. What would be the point? Yeah, and there's,
1: only a, there's only a couple of areas where they allow us to do that in medical coding, where they're allowed to say, Hey, you can figure out that one plus one equals two right here. <laughs> there's these couple of areas you're allowed to do that. Uh, coma scale is one of them. And uh, what is it? I think BMI is one. Of, no. BMI is another one. BMI Stroke is scale. one of them. So yep. yeah, there's Stroke not, scale, there's not a lot where they laterality. Yeah.
0: Which comes in handy because I am absolutely. One of my biggest pet peeves is unspecified extremity. What, wait a minute. Didn't you have it in your hand at some point, you knew if it was a left or a right. Right. And if you didn't, maybe we should let this patient find a new doctor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then they wonder why, why the claim is bouncing back because they don't know which foot they were uh, performing. Services on.
0: <laughs> okay, and I just heard uh, a little while ago, actually, that a lot of the insurance companies are now building these guidelines, the ICD-10 guidelines, into their edit softwares, so they are able to to throw these denials out when they're seeing something that maybe has an excludes one. Or it has Mm -hmm. an excludes to edit, or maybe there's a code first or use an additional code that hasn't been used. Insurance companies are just by uploading these guidelines, they're finding ways to deny claims. And you know, my biggest argument sometimes with with this the central billing offices is that you have so many denials that are coming in. And every time we have to touch a denial, we're losing money. Sometimes right. we're upside down, depending on how big or small the claim is. Right. And so the they payers are getting very smart to what we have already known for a long time. There
1: are, are strict yeah, guidance in there. You know, it's it's... Concerning too, you know, I know we've always had a lot of automation with providers that they'll select their own, you know, CBT codes, ICD-10-CM codes, especially if you're in a large organization and you have a lot of family practice and things, they'll go in and pick out their best bet. And we're like, okay, well, we'll just kind of let them out the door and maybe we'll pick these certain services and have those go into a queue and have someone look at those. Um, But, you know, now we're we're facing a lot of automation potentially Mm -hmm. in medical coding. And uh, I think you know, it'll be interesting to see how the back end progresses because of that, um, you know, how the insurances are going to adapt, what kind of algorithms they're going to come up with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course, the insurance auditors as well. I think there's going to be so much activity now on the back end because of just how quickly we're going to be pushing things through on the front end.
0: Oh, Absolutely and and you know thinking about the transition into value based reimbursement where everything is linked to those diagnosis codes so if the diagnosis codes aren't reported to their highest level of specificity if they're not reported as supported i didn't realize there have been 19 audits by the OIG in the last 3 years of Medicare advantage plans and mm-hmm. They have been publishing them. So if you go to the OIG's work plan website and you type in the Medicare Advantage there, you can see these reports. And they're saying some of the same things that we've been seeing is that the diagnosis is either unsupported um, Mm -hmm. or not reported to its highest level of specificity. And it's it's creating a problem.
1: Yeah. I remember, you know, years ago when I was working for uh, a large healthcare organization and they had several advantage plans and and quality reimbursements, the insurances would send audit findings to them. Hey, we reviewed all of these records for you and your, your diagnosis codes weren't correct. And the, I feel like there was a a very big thought process of, oh, well, are you taking any money back from us? Oh yeah. Then we don't don't really care. You know, um, yeah. And I, I, I think as we progress through time, it's going to start seeing a much larger financial impact that uh, they'll probably look back and go, "I wish we would have done something when they were sending our, our just, just FYI." Audit. Well, findings I have a, a theory ago. about
0: that too because, so starting earlier this year or late last year, I don't know. With COVID, I'm still all my years are all kind of jumbled up. I'm, I'm coming to, to out of that, but. Um, so it's sometime within the last twelve months, let's put it that way that um CMS is now taking back monies from the Medicare Advantage plans.
1: So yes. we can't yeah. we can't
0: be so naive as to think that the Medicare Advantage plans are just going to take this yeah. loss and yeah. not we're gonna pay go,
1: it forward. Oh, yeah, we'll do the wolf. We'll, that's fine. We'll just they're they're gonna they need to recoup their money from somewhere and right. So we'll see, yeah.
0: definitely see changes to future bonus structures between yep. payers Contract, and yep. yep, those contracts there. Um, and we might see a larger presence of the Medicare Advantage plans within the practices because now there's, I, I mean, and that's at the very least if they don't start doing any type of civil litigations to try to pull their monies back. I mean, that could be the case as well. Um, but we need to be really careful when it's when we're assigning these diagnosis codes. Cause it's, we're entering a new world. Um, Absolutely. Definitely. And uh, you know, I was going to share something with you. So I have a provider's office that I was in not too long ago, a few weeks ago. And, and I said, you know, we should encourage more people to move to this town. And they said, really, why? And I said, because you have no obesity. Oh <laughs> Well, here's what happened, Christine. We really do have obesity here, but it's not politically correct. Mm-hmm. So we don't code anybody with obesity. And
1: I was like, oh. You know, it's it's such a tough call, too, because I, even just as a consumer of social media, you'll see these TikToks and things pop, pop up from patients where they are so... P. O. I went into my doctor's office for, you know, a foot pain and they put on that I have obesity, blah, 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like, well, yeah, but we kind of, there's a reason. <laughs>
0: Because it kind of helps describe why you are now diabetic and your cholesterol is through the roof. And we're having all of these new charges for medications and testing and specialists. And a lot of it has to do with, you know. And
1: not only that, but even even when you think about a statistical purpose, you know, we want to see the statistics of how many patients that we have that have something like obesity and then how many don't develop problems because of it. Well, yeah. maybe why? And then the ones that do, you know, was there something else that factored into the reason that maybe they, this, these pool of patients developed diabetes, and then these pool of patients out of them right. developed a complication of that diabetes. Is right. there a geographic reason? Is, you know, we need that data.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and even from a value-based perspective, I think it's important to know that, you know, what we have learned is that some patients that are morbidly obese are more prone to diabetes, to hypertension, yeah. to those conditions. And from a value-based perspective, it's kind of like saying not if, but when, and we want to make sure that there's money allocated to take care of you when that happens. So...
1: And if it doesn't, awesome. Cool.
0: Well, <laughs> exactly. Good for you. Nice jeans. Right. You wear them well, you know. <laughs> um, but to circle back to what we were talking about today, the signs and symptoms, just remember there's there's multiple guidance through the guidelines, either in the general section that talks about how we code or if we go into section four, outpatient coding talks about signs and symptoms coding Again, um, we've got our chapter 18 of our guidelines that talks to us about how and when it's appropriate to assign those codes. And then don't forget when it affects the EM guidance. So, either what is a problem that is addressed, or when we're looking at the undiagnosed um, new problem with uncertain prognosis and that differential diagnosis, or even if we're looking at the systemic symptoms, is it really? systemic symptoms or is it a sign and symptom right so um you know just remember that you want to you want to have your resources down you want to look at your guidelines and kind of understand before you're generous with those signs and symptom codes what are your closing thoughts victoria
1: uh, closing thoughts yeah just um keep an eye on those. You know, you don't have to be an expert on what the signs and symptoms of everything are, but uh, you'll learn as you grow. It's one of those things that you can't just read a book and understand that as you encounter them and research more, you'll start developing that expertise.
0: And don't forget about Dr. Google (laughs) (laughs) or just Google (laughs) as some other people know it. Thanks again, Victoria, for coming on the show today and having this wonderful chat with me. We we have really dived into a couple quite a few things today, and I'm really really excited. Um, make sure that you post some pictures with your daughter making schmores this afternoon, yeah. this evening, <laughs> right? And uh, and I'll make sure I post some pictures of me spoiling Mr. Toby Hall. And until then, then we'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks again, Victoria.
1: Thank you, Christine.